and integrity is, is super important to me. It's of, yeah. I was challenged, I don't know, within the last year to say, you know, it's easy to think about all the values, all the things that are important to you. But if you had to boil it down to one, what would it be? And for me, that one boiled down to integrity. And so much of what I do and so much of what I believe falls under that umbrella of integrity, uh, just because it's, you know, that's, that's the person I am. That's the person I want to be. And I, I continue to strive for that. You're listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes, where you'll hear real stories of the journey to modern manhood told by the men who lived them. Raw, real, and 100% unapologetic. And now, here is your host, Eric Rogel. And that was today's guest, Rusty Gaillard, talking about the importance of integrity. And you all know how important I feel integrity is. Thanks for being here today. I'm Eric Rogel, and this is Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes. Thanks for jumping on and joining me today. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I have a big announcement. I want to let you guys know that I am proud to announce that the Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes podcast is now a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm really excited about this, guys. They're an amazing network, and uh, we're going to be working together going forward to bring you some really incredible shows. So again, I'm excited about this and I'm really honored to be part of that network. So if you want to check out more information on them or some other shows they have on the network, head on over to evergreenpodcast.com. So now getting back to today's episode, I've got Rusty Gaillard and I was really looking forward to having Rusty on because when we met and when I heard his story, I... I didn't immediately want to know the guy, but I wanted to know more. See, Rusty, Rusty's one of those guys I normally would have been like, yeah, I don't really want to know this guy. You know, he just seemed to have had this charmed life, nothing interesting going on there. You know, he did great in school. He got a Stanford MBA, never struggled, or I thought, I thought he never struggled. Um, he had this amazing job as a leader at Apple for over 13 years. Right. One of those standard overachievers who everything comes naturally to. But when I heard more, what I really started to love about Rusty's story, and you're going to hear him tell it here in a second, is is even though he had this great life that we saw on the surface, he wasn't fulfilled. Right. He wasn't living in integrity. So he left that great job at Apple to follow his passion. And now that took some balls because here's a guy. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. And he's got this really prestigious job that most guys would kill for. And he walks away from it because he wants and really he needs to be in integrity with himself. So I wanted to know more about that story. So to start it off, I asked Rusty to take me back to how he grew up and if things always came easy for him. So Rusty, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your early life, your life in general, as we get going, I mean, you had a seemingly ideal life. You got a great education. You got a Stanford MBA. You worked as a leader at Apple for almost 13 years or over 13 years, which, you know, for many people be a dream job to work at Apple. <laughs> I'm a big Apple fan myself. So um, what I want to know is, did things always come easy for you? Did you have a lot of challenges growing up? Um, did things just fall into place? Tell me a little bit about that or some of the first challenges that you had. You know, Eric, my, um, life did come pretty easily for me for, for 
most of the first part of my life. Um, I always did well in school. That came pretty naturally to me. You know, I made it into Stanford. I uh, did well in my career and in my jobs. Uh, working at Apple was great. And in many ways, it was an ideal job. Um, the, uh, you know, there, there was a moment, though, after business school where I was looking for a job. I didn't graduate with a job where most of my classmates did. Okay. But I was looking for a job. It was 2001. I wanted to work in high tech. And this was right after the dot-com bubble had burst. Uh, and it was, it was challenging to find a job and compounded by, you know, I was living in Berkeley because my then wife was in business school there and all the jobs were in Silicon Valley and there was still traffic out here is nuts. It was two hours each way to get down to Silicon Valley. Wow. And so, you know, I, I found this huge tension of like, I want those jobs, but am I going to do that four hours in the car every day? So I just, I couldn't swallow that. And so I, you know, I had an offer or two, but it was, I couldn't take it. So I ended up being unemployed for eight months and uh, it was really hard for me. Uh, you know, as someone who life had come easily for me up until that point, And I had always done well. Um, you know, <laughs> I remember one day my, my wife came back and she said, when's the last time you took a shower? <laughs> and it was like, it was to that point where I just, you know, I got up, I put on the same clothes every day and I sat there trying to get a job and it was, it was really hard for me. Yeah. You know what I, what I get from that too, is, you know, a lot of us as men uh, being the provider, bringing in the money is, is a big part of who we are. You know, it's that part of the, the warrior part of us that goes out, hunts, brings back the food. So there's eight months of, of, you know, and especially, I would think, being, you know, being out of the MBA program at Stanford, very prestigious program, and you figure, oh, I'm going to graduate. They're going to come knocking on my door. Right. Here it is. This is going to be easy and flow just like everything else. And now you are unemployed and unable to provide for eight months. So, you know, you said you didn't, you know, your wife said you didn't shower. So was there like a, what was the mental state at that point of, of just feeling like none of this is coming forward or going forward for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... I would say it's the closest to depression that I've ever been, um, you know, compounded with that, the expectation of going out and providing. I grew up in a traditional household where my dad worked and my mom was at home and my dad was very successful in business. And I was celebrated for the success that I had in academically and early on in my career. So layer that on top of my own expectation of being able to go out and provide, but coming from a family where, the men do well and are successful. And that was a big part of my identity. So having that part stripped away also was really challenging. I just, I finally got to the point where I started doing some things that were uh, not directly related to looking for a job. Um, you know, because it was, I just wanted to like sit there and grind it out and make it happen. And it wasn't happening. And so I found myself like, okay, I got to try something different. And I would go out. I love being outside. Nature is just such, so restorative to me. And so I would go out and I would go for a hike or I'd go find a park and go for a walk or sit in the park. And that was really helpful for me uh, just because it's, it's like soothes my soul to be out in nature. Yeah. Um, well, it's part of us as men, right? I mean, that's yeah. where we are, we, are, we are comfortable. And I think a lot of us don't, I'm glad that you did that. Cause I think a lot of us don't do that. We don't get out enough. We, you know, we want to sit and grind when there's a problem rather than getting out and getting into this space and just kind of being one with nature and letting it happen. Exactly. Exactly. And so 
you know, I, I've never actually thought about it, you know, to what extent that is related to me actually getting the job that I ultimately got that got me out of that place. But I'm sure it was a part of it because, you know, when you sink into that place and you're kind of down in the dumps, it's hard to get a job. It's hard to really be productive because your, 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 your energy isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, I look at everything, you know, the warrior, lover, king, hero archetypes, you know, that sitting and grinding is that warrior, but the getting out in nature part. Yeah. There's some warrior there too, but there's that heart side, right? Yeah. Just being out in the space and appreciating getting that balance is what allows us to get back into, all right, I'm on this now. I can solve the problem from a different space. And I think that also, you know, led to you ultimately getting that job and getting, you know, the, the dream job that you wanted. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that part of the getting out of nature allows the, that king energy to show up because the, you know, when I'm sitting there grinding and being unsuccessful in it and not taking a shower and kind of like right. sinking deeper and deeper, um, I, I lose, lose sight of who am I and what's my value in this. And, you know, my self-worth goes down, uh, you know, I'm very critical, judgmental of myself. Why can't I do this? You know, this is the first time in my life I've really run into these kind of challenges. And it was, my self-talk was not good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. I'm glad you said that about the King energy, because that is, it's like taking care of yourself as the King. Yeah. Right. I mean, getting what it is that you want. So, so now you get the job at Apple. We're going to fast forward a little bit. You get the job at Apple. You're there for a long time um, in leadership position there, which is fantastic. And, you know, you started to have some challenges in your marriage. Now, did this start, when you were unemployed or was this more a function of, you know, I don't know, being a workaholic, a lot of men, you know, I know I had that issue. You're always at the office, always working, can never turn it off. So where did these, these, these issues start to come from? They more, I wouldn't say I was a workaholic, at least not in my opinion, but, uh, but I definitely was, took my work very seriously. The biggest challenge happened when my son was born. Uh, because, you know, when we were just two single people married, but, you know, each working, that worked fine. But when my son was born and then just the expectation of being present, and I wanted to be present for him as well. Uh, and so that's where the biggest rub came in, uh, you know, and especially for me, I was, in a, I was in a job where I worked with people all over the world. So I had, you know, in the mornings living in California, that meant mornings I was talking to Europe and evenings I was talking to Asia. And in the evening, especially, being around for dinner time and, you know, bath time and putting my son to bed and all that is like overlap directly with the need to be present in meetings, both in person and on the phone. And that just became this huge conflict. Yeah. Uh, how long did this go on where it was just kind of deteriorating? It went on a long time, uh, you know, five years probably. And it just got kind of worse and worse. Um, and it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of started around the relationship with my son, but it, 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 it got worse and worse that from there. Um, and, you know, I, when I look back at it now, like my part of it was, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a peacemaker at heart. Yeah. I don't want to upset somebody. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, do something that they're not going to like. And so what I found myself doing was not being as honest as I would like to, you know, it's like, Hey, I'll be home at 5.30 and I don't make it home at 5.30. I'll, you know, not dramatically late, but it's, you know, 20 minutes late and 30 minutes late. And just enough that, you know, my wife at the time just felt like I was not being straight with her and she felt like I wasn't considering her because I didn't want to tell her, look, I get that you don't like it, but I'm going to be late. Mm -hmm. So it just, you know, we, we ended up in this kind of downward spiral. Yeah. And it just got, it really, it really got ugly. Um, 
and it was the, 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 the interesting thing about it is like, we're not the kind of people that we were yelling and screaming and throwing things or any of that. So there was no, none of that, like a real kind of physical or, you know, even escalation of, of high energy, but it was this like undercurrent of malice, um, yeah. that was going on and it was, uh, it was draining. But, you know, it was a little bit like what I described with the job search. It was like, you know, it was like my approach to life was stick in it, figure it out, grind it out, get, you know, don't walk away. And so it was, you know, warrior energy, super, super high warrior energy, just trying to figure out how do I make this relationship work? But if, you know, I think, I think we all know that warrior energy is not the, uh, not the only or the strongest energy to make a relationship work, but that's what I was bringing. And that's what yeah, I Yeah, It's a balance of the warrior and the lover. You got to bring the heart into it as well. And, you know, of course, on the warrior side, there's the negative warrior energy of being, you know, forceful, overbearing, those kind of things. And that can overtake it. So, yeah, I can feel that. How was your son? How, you know, you said this happened about five years. So I'm assuming he was real young during this. How did it affect him? I mean, because when that stuff's going on in the house, it absolutely can affect the kids. So you must have seen, you know, some effect on him as well. And as a dad, how was that for you? I did see an effect on him. You know, it's hard to say. I didn't see specific behaviors, but I, I mean, I know there were times that it was painful for him and, you know, vacations that got aborted or, you know, arguments in the morning where he was just kind of left on his own to do his own thing when he was young and, uh, it broke my heart, honestly. Um, you know, being a being a father is something that from the get go was really important to me. Um, my dad was present a lot physically mm -hmm. around the home, but he wasn't very available. Okay. And I want to say available, be available. You mean emotionally, or you mean just even to do things with you as a kid? Well, some of both, definitely emotionally. Like there were no one was really available emotionally in my house growing up. Mm -hmm. Like emotions were. I don't know, just, we didn't talk about emotions. You know, you just, you pick up and you keep going. It's just that same pattern that I've been talking about with my job search and the relationship and everything else is just figure it out. Yeah. Uh, that was the kind of the way we dealt with stuff in, in my household growing up. Um, so, you know, there was no emotional availability, but also my dad was, you know, he was very successful at work and he worked hard. So even if it was, this was back before the internet or anything, but so he'd be at home, but he'd be at home working. Uh, and he did chores and we, he had some hobbies and we participated in those, but, um, it wasn't like, Hey dad, let's go play catch. Like that kind of thing didn't really happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so was your marriage, was this like your first kind of, I don't want to say real, but big committed relationship in your life? It was. Yeah. Um, it was. Yeah. So I could feel the, 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 the desire to want to keep that and not fail at that. Right. And so many of us do that. We get in these relationships and it feels like, you know, for us as men, it's a failure if it doesn't continue forever. Right. Down the thing. So it, it does take that courage and, uh, to be honest and be real and really look at it for what it was. And so when did that happen for you? You know, to be honest, I, I didn't get there until after we, we separated. Um, hmm. I, I I was so focused on that notion of failure that you just described um, that I was going to stick it out indefinitely. Uh, and, and it was, it wasn't working. It wasn't working for either of us. Um, but, you know, I was just, I, I, it wasn't part of my, how I saw myself that I would fail at something. And that's exactly how I saw this as a failure. So I, I stuck it out until she pulled the plug. Um, and I, fought it. I didn't like it. I didn't want to get separated or divorced. 
And in the end, it was the best thing that could happen to me because it, it forced me to learn and grow and kind of walk through the swamp, which I didn't want to do. But, uh, you know, when you got to do it, that's, you, you figure out you can. Yeah. And that's the thing too, man, when you, when you face these challenges like that. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I want to get into that a little bit. You know, you said she pulled the plug and I know that, you know, for me personally, in a lot of relationships, it's been, I knew it was over, but I didn't want to admit that it was over. And it took, you know, me manipulating, scheming, however you want to put it to get her to actually step up and pull the plug rather than being, you know, honest and courageous and doing it, knowing that it was, you know, needed to be done. That's, you know, integrity. It's living in integrity right there when you know it needs to be done and getting it done. So I want to get into like the power side of this and and the, the lessons that you learned, the leadership that you took from this and got into. So part of that for you was you actually told me you went into counseling and it was counseling yeah, so, where you were with like addicts and, and all kinds of guys in, in this group, huh? I, yeah. So, you know, relatively early in our marriage, uh, I started going to counseling. I saw a therapist and for many years and, uh, you know, honestly, it didn't help me all that much. You know, I would go to these, I would go and I would talk about things. And I remember at one point I, I, I kind of chuckled and I was like, Hey, I pulled one over on those therapists, you know, all yeah. of those times. And I never really told them what was really going on with me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, there's no you know, honesty there, right? Because you, I'm going to, you know, yeah. say it, it's, it's, you got to have that courage to be honest with yourself so you can be honest with other people. Right. So that you really weren't being honest with the therapist. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of that was, you know, maybe that was intentional, but it was what you were saying earlier. It was like, the, it wasn't even, maybe it was like self-defense at some level, but just not having the, the courage or the, the wisdom to know how to find that deeper level of honesty that I hadn't revealed yet. And I found it because as you mentioned, uh, towards the end of my, of my marriage, my wife said, Hey, I, you really need to move out. Something's got to change here. And I had been seeing a therapist a couple of times a week. I've been doing everything, but I wasn't making, I wasn't making any progress. I wasn't figuring anything out. And so I was at this real, just, just really low point, this point of desperation. And, you know, ironically, I was sitting at, I was at, you know, a lot of this happened. I would walk out of work. I would walk out of the office and I'd walk like back behind the building. There was this old parking lot from another, from a building next door that basically wasn't used. And it was like, you know, weeds growing and it was December and it was cold and it was desolate. And I was like, I felt alone. And in this kind of like, you know, this weedy, dirty parking lot. And I was like, oh shit, (laughs) like this, it doesn't get any worse than this. And I found this because I was looking for something where I could go deeper. And I was like, okay, therapy twice a week isn't getting it, isn't getting me there. And, you know, to this, you know, we were speaking about truth and, you know, I didn't know if this was me. I didn't know if this was her, you know, I just like, I didn't know what it was, but I figure there's something for me to be learned in this process. And so I was looking for a retreat and I couldn't find a retreat that seemed to touch on this, but I did find this residential therapy kind of place in Kentucky that specializes in codependency. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go. Um, and this was, and this was maybe an act of desperation, but it was also, you know, there was, I think there was some part of me that knew that I was going to learn in this place, learn something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up being there for six weeks. So I flew off to Kentucky. I was there for six weeks mm-hmm. and I walked in, um, you know, my first day and they take away your cell phone. They take away all of your, you know, like any way means of communication, except for the little phone they have available to you to use uh, once a day. 
Um, and the first guy I met there walks up and he says, Hey, my name is Jack and I'm an alcoholic and a sex addict. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. Who are these people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It was, it was a marvelous experience. Uh, it was a turning point in my life. And, and for me to, to find this for the first time in my life, I was in a place where I could dig deep to find the most honest and vulnerable thing that I could think to say and say it and have it received welcomely and with support yeah. and without judgment. Absolutely, and I had man. never yeah. experienced that. Yeah, you know, most of us never never experience that. You know what I mean? And, and especially as men, we don't experience you know guys opening up, being having the the courage and having the acceptance to open up to each other. So yeah, so that's a an amazing thing. I was going to ask you some of the things you got out of being in this in this group with with these men and 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 what you've taken from that and used successfully, you know, in your life and your career and relationships going forward. Yeah. Well, so coming out of that place, I was there for six weeks and, you know, six weeks is a long time, but it's not, doesn't change whatever it was at that point, 35 years or 38 years of, of living in a certain way. Um, and so I, when I got back here to California, I formed a men's group mm. and I kind of formed it with the idea of, I want to continue being able to talk about life and ourselves and what's, you know, some of these more, these vulnerable things that we don't really share with other people. And so there were uh, five of us and we met every week for a couple hours for six years. Wow. And it changed my life. This group changed my life. Tell um, me how. I, I want to hear some of this because this is really, you know, I think is, first of all, you know, kudos to you for doing that. It's for, you know, for committing to doing that, feeling the duty of, you know, to your brothers and, and putting this group together. Were these men that you knew personally? Or was this, you know, they were recommended to you? Did it come through a variety of ways? It came through a variety of ways. One I get, one guy I met at the Mankind Project. One guy I met at this place in Kentucky. Mm. Another guy I met at a 12-step meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of this, you know, this group of people that we, that we formed. But, they, you know, all of us were really, uh, maybe desperate's a little too strong, but it was certainly bordering on desperate to grow and change and learn for our own reasons in life. So you were and seeking, we I'm not to, gonna use the word desperate. I'm gonna say you were motivated to seek. Yes, right? You were highly motivated. In. That's the warrior side, right? You wanna like, I have to get here and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get there. So yes. you took that action to put these guys together. Yeah, and that's a much better word because it wasn't really desperate, but it was high, we were highly motivated and all of us were for our own reasons. Um, you know, for me, because I was still in the midst of this relationship, because, you know, I'd been asked to move out, but, you know, we were still kind of working on our relationship as I came back to California. And, um, and I was trying to figure out what's going on and how do I navigate this? So this, this, the, in this group of men, I, you know, back to your question about what did I take is one of the things that I took away is the courage to talk about the thing you least want to talk about that part that you most want to hide, that you're like, I don't want to tell anyone this thing uh, that makes you nervous and makes your throat tighten up, your gut sink. Like those, those sharing those things is what has fundamentally has been a huge part of changing my life and who I am. Yeah. And, and, it, and it leads you to live in integrity, right? I mean, that's, that's the really, I find that when you're living in integrity, you know, and you can, you can, you have no secrets, you know, like what you're saying, or you're not holding these things inside is when we can really start to, 
to grow and, and form these incredible relationships with each other, but also with ourselves. Cause there's that pressure to, to just keep the bullshit hidden. Even when a lot of people, and I know this in my experience, when a lot of people, they know your bullshit, right? They, 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 they can see it, but now you're just living truth and, and you're living in integrity and it can take a lot of that pressure off. Yeah. Um, I, that's, that's so true. Uh, just knowing that, somebody knows even the worst part of me and still accepts me for being who I am. Cause the worst part of us doesn't define us. We all have a worst part of us, but we all have a best part too. And just, you know, it, it can be so easy to get sucked down by the shame or the, the guilt or the wanting to hide this part of us that we're, that we think is weak or bad. Uh, being able to talk about that is just, is it really is transformative and really brought me into a sense of integrity for sure. Awesome, man. So I want to talk about some of the, um, how, how old is your son now? He's almost 14. So how's the relationship with your son? Because I mean, you're learning all this kind of stuff. You're tapping more into, you know, the warrior side, the, the lover, the heart side. And, and how is your relationship with your son? It's good. And you know, I, I've, it's like I practice these same things with him. Uh, you know, it's since for, for how many people find it easy to talk about their to their teenage kids about sex or about drugs or about you know any of that stuff. It's not easy, um, but it's that same idea of being willing to talk about it. So we have fun together. We we you know we we enjoy doing stuff together. He actually was helping me with a project around the house this weekend, which was super fun. Um, so we have all of that, which is great, uh, and it's that it's bringing that same integrity and that same willingness to try something that's a little uncomfortable in the interest of building a deeper and closer relationship. You know, I love what you just said that about uncomfortable because the comfort zone is death, right? I've said this many times before, you know, nothing great ever comes, you know, no one ever wrote a great movie about a guy in his comfort zone. (laughs) You got to get out of it and get moving. And so I can really, really appreciate that. So what did this teach you this whole thing? I mean, um, you know, you and I had spoken before and, and you said that in going through this divorce and this, this losing this relationship was probably one of the best things that happened in terms of your growth and getting in. So I want to get into that a bit. And what did this teach you about you as a man and, and you and your, and your warrior side um, to be able to go through something like this and, and drive yourself forward? I want to hear a little more about that. You know, the warrior energy for me has been more accessible to me. It's that I'm not giving up. Um, I'm just like, I'm going to keep plowing forward and it's painful, it's hard, whatever, but I'm going to go. And so that piece has been something that I've been able to hold on to. But, you know, one of the things that I've noticed about this work is growing up when I was young, my dad had a temper and I was afraid of that. I was afraid of his temper, especially when he was mad at me. And he was mad at me at times, even some, for sometimes for things that weren't directly my responsibility. And what I noticed is that as I got older, I carried that fear of power and anger. I carried that with me. Um, and so there was a part, you know, there's a part of me that can be very, I'm going to be persistent. And I'm going to keep going. I can be courageous and all of that. And there was another part of me that was afraid of people who were really strong or powerful or angry. Because uh, that's that's that would carry over from my childhood. So part of this work is feeling more grounded myself, so that I'm not blown away by you know somebody else being angry or powerful. That's fine. You can be angry and powerful. You know I'm powerful too. Uh, I may not yell and scream and you know kick, but 
but I can stand and, and be present to that without backing down. Yeah. That, you know, that is just for so many of us. And, and I know it was for me. Um, I had this, this fear of my own warrior, but, but the warrior of others. And, and it seemed, and a lot of that came from uh, people being afraid of it. And just like you just said, I mean, it's just, you know, you, you get afraid of this and then that's when we start to kind of tamp it down, push it down. But when you can really accept that side of you and handle it in a positive way, mm -hmm. right? So in other words, direct your warrior in a positive way. That's when that leadership happens. That's when you can really, and what you just said to your point, can handle it in other men that are bringing that. And then it becomes more of a brotherhood feeling than a, holy shit, what is this guy doing? And fear kind of based. There's that comes that mutual kind of respect there. And, and what about the heart side of it, the lover side of it? Because just like with the warrior, same thing, a lot of us kind of push that down. It's seen as weak and soft. That was my interpretation of it when I was younger. Um, but, you know, going through this with your wife and the marriage falling apart, I mean, how has that helped you in relationships now going forward, being able to embrace that lover side of you fully? You know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, I, I think that first developed in this group of men that I talked about. Um, you know, my dad was not the kind of guy who like, you know, if I was hurt to pick me up and hug me or whatever, you know, I just like when I was a little kid and even as an adult, you know, when I started, you know, would see my dad, we didn't live near each other. So when we'd see each other, we'd, we'd I'd give him a hug and he'd hug back, but he was always very stiff and uncomfortable with that kind of physical contact. And so one of the things that came from this, this men's group that I was a part of for six years was bringing a sense of care for each other and a sense of compassion for each other. And that really opened up my ability not only to do it with other men, but also to bring that with, with other women, with women. Uh, and so it was, it was fascinating to me that in a way, it's like I had to learn how to be open to that from another man, how to be loved and accepted and cared for by another man. Yeah. Before I could really do that with, with a woman. Yeah. And for me, what it is, is, you know, when you can do that with a group of men, you know, the brotherhood, when you can really form a brotherhood, uh, there's that acceptance of ourselves. Yep. And when you have that love for yourself and appreciation, that's when you can give it to another. And so yes. finding that in that group and being accepted for that, um, I think is what kind of led you to be able to do that with the women in your life. Yeah, it's super well said is, you know, finding it in myself. And once I have it, then I have the ability to share it with others. Yeah. So your relationship now, I mean, how is this? Uh, I've got a great relationship now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in a new relationship. <laughs> We've been together four years um, and she couldn't be more different from my ex-wife. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's fun. We have a good time together, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and we can talk about anything. It's one of the best parts of our relationship that, you know, we can, we can talk about the, the hardest things that kind of feel the most risky, but we can do it in a way that, that is productive and brings us closer together. And that is magical, you know, to, to have a relationship where that thing that you really don't like about the other person or that really bugs you, that you can actually talk about it. Uh, yeah. That's huge. Well, that's courage and honesty right there, right? And then making sure that relationship's in integrity. So yeah, that's what that's what makes those magical. What I'm feeling is you couldn't have gotten to that relationship without going through what you went through in the marriage. Totally. And, and having totally. that challenge back then. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't have that integrity and honesty when I was in the marriage. I mean, to describe this, like, even when I got home from work, you know, just feeling like I had, it couldn't be even honest about those things. So, um, you know, going through that, the, the challenges, the learnings from what came out of that, both as, you know, through the therapy and the 12 step groups and this men's group that I formed and all of that, uh, really did enable, has enabled me to come into a place of integrity and honesty and, and, um, and integrity is, is super important to me. It's of, I was challenged, I don't know, within the last year to say, you know, it's easy to think about all the values, all the things that are important to you, but if you had to boil it down to one, what would it be? And for me, that one boiled down to integrity and so much of what I do. And so much of what I believe falls under that umbrella of integrity, uh, just because it's, you know, that's, that's the person I am. That's the person I want to be. And I, I continue to strive for that. Fantastic, man. I love that. So tell me a little bit about um, mentors that you've had in your life. You know, I know, you know, you had this group of five men. Talk a little bit about your dad. Was there anyone else in your life or, you know, then or now that you got mentoring from or used as a role model or continue to, to this day, use as a role model? And then also you mentoring others and kind of paying that forward. Um. I did not really have a mentor for, um, I, I kind of divide, maybe if you divide my life is like, you know, pre-divorce and post-divorce. Uh, pre-divorce, I did not have a mentor. And as I mentioned, I just like, I grew up in a place in a house where we didn't talk about our feelings. And I wasn't even totally honest with the therapist that I saw for 10 years. So uh, I did not have anyone in my life that was really, I looked up to that guided me in that way. And in part, because I, like, I, I wasn't, somehow I wasn't ready for that. Uh, because I was like, I couldn't really be honest. I couldn't find the place in myself where I could ask the questions and, and talk about what really mattered in life. In the time since then, I would say this, this group of men that uh, I'm still, I'm still very close to them, my best friends. And I would say we mentor each other. Uh, and it, that is a very cool thing because, you know, the, <laughs> When you, when you develop these cool friendships and you find between them, we, we go through similar things together, whether it's, you know, relationship things or, or work. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of commonality and I get so inspired by them. I mean, I remember one of my friends from this group when he came home one day and he, and he told his wife he had bought a motorcycle, which they used to ride motorcycles together and they hadn't for many years, but he went home and, and did it. And she was so mad, <laughs> but just the courage of him to go out and do this thing that he knew she wasn't going to like, mm -hmm. um, but it was important to him and the courage to do that. I, I still think about that. I was like, man, good for you. So, you know, that was a way in which he was like, in some ways, a mentor to me and the roles have reversed uh, in, in, in the same way where I've been a mentor to him. And so that has been really a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, to me, that's just the definition of brotherhood. Right, mm -hmm. why that's so important for us to have these brothers and then be able to learn from each other, guide each other, um, you know, take leadership, take a you know, be a follower, a mentor, a mentee. I mean, I think it's fantastic. So, I really, you know, uh, love that you guys were able to do that. And, and I encourage more and more men to, to, to really kind of step outside the comfort zone, find these men that you can be real with and create that brotherhood with. So, um, you know, Rusty, as we, as we wrap this up, because there's some really great stuff here on this and how I want to know how have you used some of these lessons that you learned 
in your career now, in business, in your relationships, you know, everywhere in your life, some of these things that you've taken? Well, this, this has become my business. So I left Apple after, you know, over 13 years, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. to help people live a better life. And I love working with men in particular. I do work with men and women. Um, but it is, it, it came from this, this idea that it's, I, I just, I so value talking to people and having real conversations because pre-divorce, that wasn't a part of my life. And it became a part of my life and has been so transformative to me. I just, I want to support other people in having that in their life as well. And so that really was the seed of becoming a coach. Yeah. And so the work that I do with, with people now is all about, is about looking at yourself and, and learning and growing, but also getting really clear about what a great life looks like for you. And then living into that, because most people don't ask that question. You know, it's like, we look at what's wrong and we focus on what we don't like, but it's really important to focus on what you do want in your life and to move towards that because it can, you can see tremendous progress when you do. Yeah. And you know, it's about taking the value in the, you know, we'll call them quote unquote mistakes and failures. Cause they're really not, they're just battle scars that we've, you know, we're hard fought and won and, and we use them to move forward. And, what, what I'm hearing from this now for you, you know, going pre-divorce, post-divorce is, you know, you're, you're in your younger life, you know, you saw your parents, saw your dad working that high value in education, went, got the MBA from Stanford, worked at a huge corporation like Apple, you know, prestigious position, all that other kind of stuff. But it was going through this that really helped you find your purpose yeah. in life. And I think that's where a lot of us, you know, I, I know for me, it was like that holy shit kind of moment chasing all this other stuff and then being able to find your purpose in whatever that is and living that purpose and seeing, you know, how it uh, changes yourself and others around you. But I, I'm, that's what I'm really feeling from what you're saying on that is you did, this kind of helped you find that purpose, get to that, that um, decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. It absolutely helped me find it. Um, and, you know, you asked earlier about mentors and another person that has become a mentor to me just in the past couple of years has kind of helped me find this direction uh, is a woman named Mary Morrissey. Uh, and she is all about, you know, figuring out what you want in your life. You know, most of us, again, most of us don't ask that question, but figure out what you want in your life because you can have it. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I love that. And I love bringing that idea and this kind of this openness and integrity and the willingness to wade into these challenging conversations, bringing that to support other people. Um, because you, as you said, and I was this person, like chasing some external thing, chasing some promotion or some income or some beautiful woman or whatever it is, but it's like that external thing is what I need so that I can feel good and I can feel like I'm finally arrived. But that's not where it comes from which I discovered because, you know, some of that stuff was stripped away. <laughs> you strip it away. It's like, Hey, you know, it's actually not such a bad thing to have it stripped away and have to build it up internally. Yeah. Stripped away. And I'm still here. Yeah. Right. I, you know, am able to stand here even in the face of all of that being stripped. And yep. that comes down to the reality of who you are and the, and the, you know, you as a man and the, and the real purpose in your life, I think it forces you to really take that look at it. Yep. So awesome. So Russ, as we, as we wrap, you know, we talked about a lot of lessons learned here and a lot of ways to move everybody forward, but what would be the one biggest one? That's the biggest kind of lesson that you've taken and that you use 
every day in your life that we can use too. If I had to boil it down to, to one lesson, um, I would say don't embrace your, embrace what's your failures. Uh, you know, those things that are the hardest that you most want to avoid in your life that you never wanted, uh, that are the most painful, those things are your best teachers. And that's true at a big scale and a small scale too, right? Just even the frustration of, you know, whatever, missing an appointment that was important to you because you, whatever, their traffic was bad. It doesn't matter. Whatever those things are that you don't want in your life is to just always be curious. How can I learn from this? Because there's always a learning and a growth in every situation, especially in those ones that we think are negative. Uh, and to just to stay open to that. You know, for me, those things change my life. And um, I know they can for all of us. So that, that, that would be my, my number one lesson is just learn and grow and stand in the discomfort because you can come through stronger for it. Stand in the discomfort. See, I love that. And that's why I wanted to bring you Rusty's story today. It's more proof that there really are no failures in our lives. There are no mistakes. There's no fuck-ups. No bad shit happening to us. Even in the little things, everything that doesn't turn out the way we planned or doesn't show up ideal, those are the best opportunities to learn and to grow. Those are the times to dig in and find the lessons because that's the stuff that drives us forward. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. I want to thank Rusty Gallard for joining us today, for being real, for being honest, and for telling us the story of his journey. And I want to thank you for listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes today, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm Eric Rogel, and I'm honored to be with you to be your brother by your side on your hero's journey. I'll talk to you next time. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.